Do you copy? You're already in enemy territory, and somebody might be listening in. From here on out, we'll be using code names to refer to each other. Your code name for this mission will be Naked Snake. I'll be referring to you as Snake from now on. You're not to mention your real name. Snake? What, you don't like snakes? What do you mean? You've eaten one before, haven't you? In survival training. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I don't know if I'd ever order one in a restaurant, but... Be careful. You might not have a choice. What about you, Major? What should I call you? Hmm, let's see. I'll be... I'll be Tom. Call me Major Tom. Welcome to a very special episode of Pod Like a Hole, a space podity, where we typically, Mark, Eric, and I, talk about David Bowie albums. Tonight, we will not be doing that. Tonight, we will not be talking with Eric and Mark. We're going to take a break from them and bring back for his third appearance on the podcast, Mr. Joe Vieira. Good evening, Joe. Good evening, Steve. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I've been wanting to do this fan service episode, and that's what it is. Fan service to Joe and I, since we discussed we were doing David Bowie. Because tonight we will be talking about the Metal Gear Solid video game series. You might ask, you might ask yourself, why are you talking about the Metal Gear games on your David Bowie podcast? And the reason we're doing that is the Metal Gear Solid games have quite a bit references to David Bowie. Some subtle, some extremely blatant. And beyond that, they're just my favorite video games of all time. And, well, while we're on lockdown, what better thing to do than talk about video games and hit the record button? Exactly. I brought Joe back. Uh, Joe is, if, if there's only... If, if there's one thing Joe likes more than uh, Krautrock, it might be video games. and uh, Probably is. That's why he's here with me. And uh, my passion for these games is at least, he at least meets me, if not exceeds me. Uh, tonight's not going to be a snake measuring contest, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so anyhow, Joe, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, thank you again and again for, uh, for having me really excited about this it was a great idea and uh yeah i mean you know jumping right off though you know uh david bowie being kind of uh the focal point of the series uh 
and his wide uh, spreading influence uh, across cultures, across art medium. You know, uh, uh, he's he's appeared in uh, a few video games, uh, but then the references, you know, of his influence, uh, you know, his uh, his various persona have uh, shown up in, uh, you know, several video games and uh, several game creators, you know, uh, are huge fans of his. And so, uh, you know, beyond, you know, the field of music, you know, we, we see that uh, over the span of his career, uh, his influence has spread into new medium uh, such as uh, such as art. Uh, I mean, and uh, uh, video games. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about how uh, how he how he shows up in uh, various ways in uh, the series of Metal Gear Solid. The, the and it all starts. The reason he shows up is one of those fanboys is the creator of the Metal Gear games, the auteur, Mr. Hideo Kojima. That's right. I'd, I'd say that it's not exactly apples to apples, but in the world of video games, his oddness, his thinking, the way he thinks outside the box, and at the same time, Hideo's ability to know when it's just time to make a kick-ass action scene are very similar to uh, the mindset that David Bowie had approaching his work. And and Joe, do you do you do you do you know a little about Hideo's past at all? Uh, what where uh, he got started? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he basically, uh, you know, when he was young, he started at Konami, I believe, in 1986. Um, and you know, right away, he uh, he kind of uh, was pushing for uh, you know new types of uh, game design within that company he made a pretty big splash that was around the time they were transitioning from being uh, purely like a arcade amusement into the expansion of home computers home consoles and uh it was a it was an interesting time you know when you consider you know how how new video games are in comparison to other forms of art um it was just uh you know it was rapidly expanding and uh, you know, uh, Hideo Kojima uh, has always been a very story-centric uh, designer. Uh, the story plays a huge uh, factor in the uh, the way he tells stories through video games. And uh, so, you know, he was making games that were not designed to be uh, you know pump quarters out of kids, you know, every two minutes. Um, so it was a way for the medium itself to start expanding, and he was making these uh, uh, slow-burning um, games that would have action elements, but they were propped up by uh, really intricate stories, and uh, they really tied into a lot of themes of uh, you know 20th century, um, you know globalism. Uh, war, private militaries, and, uh, you know, the whole concept generally of these uh, Metal Gear games is, uh, well, what, tactical espionage action. You basically play as, like, a super soldier behind enemy lines, and uh, being that you're a spy of sorts, uh, stealth is the big uh, gameplay hook of these. So instead of running and gunning, you're sneaking around these kind of intricate level maps trying not to be found by the enemy and only engaging when necessary. 
even if you were if you were skilled enough in some of the later games, uh, the early games from the '80s are they 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 look like 8-bit video games from the '80s. It's a it's a top-down view. Each screen is kind of its own puzzle where you move your little character looks like a chicken McNugget around uh, the bad guys. And but the story element was still there. The intricate story, the uh, you know, it was a little bit more basic then, but they're 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 they you know the the themes of war, what is it good for, and identity. You know, what is a soul? It was creeping there. But uh, exactly. uh, you know, then Hideo went and made made I believe uh, a couple of games. Uh, what what uh, police knots and snatcher uh, and snatcher, and those were very very cinematic. Uh, very. Those were closer to like a point and click adventure type of game. Yeah, it was story was very much at the at the very forefront, even to the uh, expense of gameplay, but by design. Yeah, and when uh, and and when by the time he got to the Metal Gear Solid game on the PlayStation, he married those two things. He yeah. he married the content of those old eight bit games with the cinematic elements of the games he made in between, and um, to that. When he that next evolution of the games to Joe's point of the stealth element, if you were skilled enough, you could actually make it through those video games without killing any of the 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 grunt bad guys you you run into along the way. And right. uh, I think that kind of tells you the kind of like the 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 brain he had where he made an action game, but in those action games you could be a total pacifist, which is very now well, David Bowie to me. Right, right, yeah. You you can. Uh, he he would make these story intricate games uh, extremely interactive, um, which you know still is kind of like the big magic trick, right? You know, it's 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 moving away from uh, from movies and television, uh, where it, it it presents. You know, it is what it is for you to interpret as it is, and it leaves this uh, this interactive element in which you're. Uh, you're controlling the hero. You're controlling the narrative, and uh, I mean, obviously, that's what video games are. But uh, he really kind of dissects what it is that makes a you know a play experience uh, what it is, and so uh, I think that's that's really what kind of uh, puts these games on on a pedestal is that they they expand the boundaries, they break the boundaries, they are self referential. Um, and, uh, you know, very postmodern, you know, uh, he has a lot of fun with things. He looks backward as much as he does look forward, you know, especially, uh, you know, the Metal Gear Solid games are always uh, on the vanguard of what of what you can do with video game storytelling, video game technology, gameplay techniques. Uh, he very he very rarely uh, uh, repeats the. Uh, the gameplay systems he'll oftentimes throw entire concepts out the window and redesign the whole way that we play these games from the ground up within the scope of the same series generally with the same uh overarching cast of characters um and still puts the story uh right at the fore and uh so it, it's really interesting and again similar to david bowie you know who who, who breaks his own rules breaks his own patterns um references his own work uh many times over uh and creates his own cast of characters uh you know which we will discuss i'm sure 
Yeah, and I mean, even and uh, even Hideo Kojima famously, he tried to step away from these games numerous times, and he couldn't. And so when he would go back to it, it wasn't like he did it begrudgingly, but he said he would say, "Here, you want a sequel to Metal Gear? I'll give you what you think you want." And then he would tweak it to where it's a completely similar experience, but turned on its head. Completely turned on its head. Yeah, like either uh, you think the main character completely gets swapped out before you know it, or right, uh, right. you know adds a whole element of uh, uh, sending you back to the 1960s, and you have to focus on in addition to trying to make it through the level. Also foraging for food, uh, you know, just uh, so, something he, that they would add elements to each game to keep it interesting, keep it fresh. So uh, to, to keeping it interesting and keeping it fresh, uh, Joe, what was your introduction to the Metal Gear games? Because I feel that this series, everyone has their JFK moment where they remember discovering these. Well, you know, the very first one I played was the original Nintendo port, which um, it didn't immediately click with me, to be perfectly honest. It was a a really difficult game, and I was only like, uh, I want to say eight when I played it. The references in it were over my head at the time, and uh, uh, the gameplay was frankly a little obtuse, you know? Um, It was an overhead action game, but it didn't play like Zelda. Um, I hadn't experienced anything like that, and video games were still fairly new to me, so I couldn't quite appreciate it. Um, Although, you know, obviously I think for for the greater a gaming populace, you know, we would later learn that Nintendo port was uh, not overseen by Hideo Kojima. He widely uh, disregards it as a part of the series. Um, and I think a big part of that uh, was, you know, being able to retcon some of that and expand upon it with Metal Gear Solid. So Metal Gear Solid was really the one where I mean, that game, I remember when it was coming out for fully two years, it was one of the big uh, industry games that was uh, highly, highly discussed, highly anticipated. Uh, Members of the gaming press, you know, who were obviously older than us at the time, because when that game came out, we were like, what, 16, 17? Yeah, we were Um, in high school. But, you know, the people in the gaming press were, you know, probably like nine, 10 years older than us at the time. And, um, they were old enough to remember the earlier games and they were probably uh, more excited about it. But more than that, I mean, when you saw the uh, the trailers for that game, the previews and magazines, there was really nothing quite like it. it. It electrified everyone who saw it. So by the time that game was writ- was, was, was coming out, you know, uh, you know, they put a few like demo CD-ROMs in some game magazines and stuff. So I tried that and uh, I mean, it just blew everyone away. There really isn't anything else at the time that you could compare it to. There's nothing at all like it. Uh, it was a big cinematic game that had really awesome gameplay chops that were based on the original 8-bit games. 
but without all the limitations. And so um, I would really, I really count the original Metal Gear Solid on the original PlayStation truly as my introduction to the series because, uh, you know, it got um, an extremely good localization from the native Japanese in which it was created. Um, the production value, you know, they really uh, spared no expense and, um, you know, got an exceptional voice cast. And it's really kind of like this, uh, this uh, big budget um, interactive anime kind of, but based on, you know, 20th century, um, you know, again, globalism, um, uh, international conflicts, and then these crazy sci-fi elements of uh, cloning uh, soldiers and uh, nanotechnology, you know, nanotechnology. Yeah. Enhancing, yeah. Creating super soldiers. Exactly. And so um, uh, it kind of changed everything because it's, it, it was such a cool story. It was presented in such a new way. And then the gameplay itself was super tight. It was a refinement of the original uh, games, but with, you know, expanded options afforded by the technology uh, the storage medium, you know, is a CD-ROM game, and uh, yeah, I mean that that was that was really my introduction, and that's what, what, what turned me into an obsessive, uh, you know, fan of the series and of uh, Hideo Kojima himself. Similar for me, like I remember the original games when I was a kid, the original game on Nintendo, right. which was a port of the MSX game, and then the sequel on Nintendo, which was actually a sequel in name only, which was not really a Metal Gear game, that was outright disowned by Hideo Kojima. Uh -huh. uh, the original sequel never came out to the States until later, mm -hmm. and Metal Gear Solid actually ended up taking a lot of, uh, kind of pulling an Evil Dead 2 on uh, Metal Gear 2 and incorporating a lot of those elements into that game like it was the first time they happened. Um, exactly. And uh, yeah, I remember I remember a friend of mine got the demo disc for it and we played it at, at his house. And by the time I beat that demo, I was I was totally hooked. I had to go get the, the full game. Uh, everything about it, I never really saw in a video game form from the stealth elements to also the uh, like just each character had even if the character was on screen for only a minute or two they seem to really have a good uh, distinguished characterization for each character no matter yeah, how um, minute they, they were alive. yeah they yeah. had a backstory and a reason for being there yeah and like the music was great I likened it to so yeah maybe an anime but also like I really feel like somewhere in between a John Carpenter action flick and, and a Die Hard movie was kind of how uh, that game felt to me Absolutely, yeah. It was, you're you're a lone wolf. You're infiltrating, uh, you know, an enemy base, and um, your name is you know, Snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your name is yeah. You're literally Snake. Oh yeah. 
well, again, you know, Hideo Kojima and his references to various pop culture, not just David Bowie, but the list is long. But um, well, I mean, I even let, let's let's rattle through some of those. I through the power of the Internet, I have a couple of them here in front of me. And okay. let's see, let's see if uh, let, let's see if we agree with these or if they're if they're uh, stretching here. OK. So, Fandom.com, which is a very reputable website, I'm sure. Uh, influences, uh, pop culture influences on the Metal Gear games, of which there are many. Uh, so, alphabetically, uh, 007. I say yes. There's definitely a James Bond vibe. What do you think? Absolutely. And in fact, you know, there was uh, um, like an achievement you could unlock in the first game where you could... Um, uh, you could swap a costume and play the game in a tuxedo. Yes, and also so, the the yeah. third game was set in the '60s, and the definitely the music had that whole big brass uh, yeah. James Bond vibe. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, 1984, the George Orwell book. Uh, mm-hmm. Phantom Pain takes place in 1984. And right. there's uh, Big Boss is Watching You is a slogan in the game. Right. Uh, kind of like a Big Brother thing. All right. Absolutely. I see it. And also, you know, ties it back to our friend David Bowie and his song, 1984, based off the same book. Exactly. Yeah. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, oh yeah, Hal Emmerich, the character yep. in the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Hideo's. Uh, I'd say technology tries to kill you every once in a while in these games. Actually, often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would agree. And uh, you know, also, you know, again, the uh, the big question of you know, uh, you know, what is a soul? What is man? You know, uh, the the evolution of man, the evolution, the, the perfection of humanity using nanomachines to uh, uh, move forward. Um, you know, our species. You know, uh, trying to create the super, the super soldier, the superhuman. Uh, has elements of, of 2001 in there as well. Yeah. All right. And we're going to stretch here. Back to the future. Due to the time paradoxes from the third game. <laughs> I don't know if that's a. Uh, I don't know if I could agree with that. I think <laughs> it's more like uh, trying to retcon certain story aspects that yeah. 
lightly alluded to and getting the opportunity to expand on them through the story. Yeah. Uh, Die Hard 2. I definitely see Die Hard 2. Uh, they specifically say that there's a scene that was lifted from the uh, the third game where uh, where a character gets p- punched through a stack of uh, oil drums and it was taken directly from Die Hard 2. <laughs> I, 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 I'd expand it more to say that and we'll get to this when we speak of our top five favorite moments. There are some elements in these games that are definitely John McClane-esque. So. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Running around barefoot, running around naked, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, definitely. I, I think a lot of the uh, the huge. nuclear themes. And just that sometimes there's even a, a disturbing sense of humor to the idea of nuclear fallout that as through these games. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, very much a, a, um, a metaphor for uh, the Cold War in general, um, all of the games, um, but specifically the, the, the first three. Yeah. Escape from New York, that goes without saying. The main character's name is Snake. Yeah. Uh, he has an eye. Well, eventually, a version of this character gets an eye patch. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, that was outright, <clears throat> definitely uh, on on purpose. Uh, yeah, I mean his code name is even Snake Pliskin in the uh, in the sequel. Uh, the Fugitive. In one of the games, Snake jumps into a waterfall, <laughs> being chased by Revolver Ocelot. And now that you mention it, that's the third game, and that scene definitely seems like it was directly from The Fugitive. You remember yeah. that part? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That that third game definitely is one of the more reference heavy of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Both for David Bowie and for uh, you know, pop culture at large. Uh, the Godzilla movies and I think the I some of, some of the the themes of Godzilla being uh, a son of the atom bomb. Exactly. Uh, a of, yeah. yeah, a lot of the issues that come up in these games all come from the Manhattan Project. So Yeah. Modern, modern uh, Japanese, uh, you know, the last uh, 70 years or so, you know, of uh, Japanese pop culture is largely informed by and in reference to and, you know, in memorial of and, uh, uh, you know, um, mistakes of the past, you know, uh, their own war crimes. And then, you know, the uh, atrocities that were, uh, you know, brought to them at the end of World War II, the atomic bomb. Godzilla is very much uh, in reference to that, that, that fear, that cultural, um, uh, you know, um, connection that Japan has with a nuclear war. That's kind of at the, the center. That's the, that's the constant threat with these Metal Gear games. And so I very much agree with that. This is a good deep cut. Have you ever seen the movie The Guns of the Navarone? Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely the uh, the idea of infiltrating a fortress to try to you know take on an impossible mission to destroy a new weapon. Uh, th- that theme, uh, Hideo Kojima, so that was one of the movies that gave him the idea for it, which I, I can see that. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, gotta gotta get in there. You know, stop the uh, the mad scientists from uh, you know realizing their their horrific vision and you know destroying the world and taking over. Um, 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Metal Gear, I mean, the titular, uh, you know, the namesake of these games are these uh, these uh, crazy mechanical robotic super tanks. Uh, you know, it's like uh, we have, uh, you know, based on the idea that was so terrifying in the 60s of these uh, uh, nuclear-powered submarines that never needed to refuel and could have a loadout of, you know, a dozen nuclear warheads that they could deploy to anywhere in the world undetected uh, was kind of like the inspiration for the Metal Gear, only they were like land-based, you know, jet-fueled, walking, flying, submersible, you know, uh, robots <laughs> that could launch nukes <laughs> be deployed in a battlefield, so for sure. We're gonna have a Metal Gear. We're gonna have a Mel Gibson doubleheader here. Oh, uh, lethal okay. Weapon, uh, Lethal Weapon in the original MSX2 version of Metal Gear, which was a Japanese computer which also played games. Uh, Metal Gear Two, the the portrait of Snake that came up when you were on your codec was uh, just lifted directly from Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. Uh, that's, yeah, uh, you know. I can see that a little bit, although much less so than this game, than in the main character for Police Knots, who was very mm -hmm. clearly designed on the Mel Gibson character from uh, specifically the first Lethal Weapon. His outfit, his hair, his everything. Um, uh, but yeah, I can definitely see that. Those, those movies uh, and, and characters were clearly important to uh, Hideo Kojima. I think he enjoyed the... The trope, the character building of, uh, you know, buddy cops, you know, um, and that kind of movie is sort of like the king of the uh, the buddy cop 80s action movie. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can see that for sure. And the other Mel Gibson inspired, and it comes from the only Metal Gear game of the main series that I still have not completed. And yes, I claim these are my favorite video games of all time, but it came out right around when I had a kid. And oh, yes, that kid's four now. But you know how hard it is to invest time in a, a game like this? So yeah. I still have not just uh, completed the Phantom Pain. I will one day. Me neither. Yeah, I yes. just started over. But yeah. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll take care of it. We became dads right around the same time. You cut us some slack. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I have played through it enough. I, I think I played like 40% of it. Um, Definitely the character, uh, uh, he gets a dog in that game. And we'll get back to the theme of dogs in that game in, uh, shortly. And uh, yes, a Venom Snake in that game, another version of Snake in the Snake chronology. And his canine companion looked damn near just like uh, Mad Max, uh, you know, uh, from Mad Max 2. Mel Gibson's oh, yeah. in that game with his dog that, that wanders everywhere with him. The Road Warrior, absolutely. Absolutely. I actually do see this next one. The the Pink Panther, the 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 old uh, Sellers movies. Oh, yeah. The style of humor. And yes, actually, there certainly is some of that in these games going on. Some yeah. Very broad, kind of odd humor <laughs> in these games. But also very tongue in cheek, you know, like like yeah. like totally the straight face. Yes, there's a uh, there's a reoccurring character named Johnny Sasaki, and I'll leave it at that. Predator. And I would say. Oh, the yeah. way that uh, infrared technology is used to to show a threat or to take some someone down is similar to the the Predator movie. Absolutely, really cool. Uh, same same era, Rambo. The uh, yes, the uh, Colonel Roy Campbell is definitely based off the Colonel from the uh, the original Rambo movie. 
Absolutely. The, you got to get back the in best, there. The best Rambo movie. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, the start, the, the, the game Peace Walker kind of has that, uh, two, uh, how, how is it? Seven Samurai have the, the village where they're like, they get the two villages of warring against each other kind of thing. Was that Seven so, Samurai? So Seven Samurai was kind of like, well, like a bug's life, right? Like it was basically like a village was being terrorized by, yes, yes, that's by, it. The, by like a roving, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a like a a, a, a ravaging uh, gang of uh, samurai and these yeah. uh, you know seven seven warriors who don't get along. They're totally different, but they come together uh, as hired muscle to help protect this village. And the whole time, like you know, there's this oncoming you know impossible odds you know horseback riding you know gang of samurai and they've set these home alone traps all up in this village and they've planned uh you know how to uh, protect everyone in the village who've paid them in like basically rice uh and uh they pretty much all die uh but they do save the village they they manage to fight off the uh the threat and uh sacrifice themselves to save the village that definitely is that's a trope that we've seen a lot, but some yeah. of the game Peace Walker does have that element to it. Right, um, right. That's a that's a fun game. That's a handheld one. Did you finish that one? I didn't finish it. I didn't like the structure of it, but it was a good like the, it was fun to play. But I felt like the mission based uh, story kind of it, it didn't it works against the strength of the Metal Gear series in a way. It's an imperfect. Yeah, I, I think they. They felt compelled to do to make it that way, bite-sized chunks because it was handheld. I think. I think so too. I think we're lucky that we got it. You know, I mean, it's super cool, but at the same time, it is, I think, a limitation just of the medium, and uh, you know, delivering the kind of gameplay experience. You know, because it was a portable system, so they're like, no, 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 we want people to play it on the go. And I never really understood that. I've never been a, never. I mean, I've always played portable games but I like to play them on the couch or in bed, you know, like I would a regular game. Can't play a game like on the, on the bus or something, you know, it doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know that, that something about that, uh, didn't quite sit well with me, uh, you know, on a long enough term, I didn't finish it. Here's one that's, you can't deny this. The original cover art was taken directly from a screen cap of Michael Bean from Kyle, as Kyle Reese in the Terminator. Absolutely. And he's a dead ringer. You can't deny it. And uh, Terminator uh, in general plays a, a, a huge role in, uh, in, in, in Hideo Kojima's, um, you know, it's so many of his games uh, reference imagery from that series. Uh, the titular Snatcher characters are basically, I mean, the story for that is lifted largely from, uh, you know, Blade Runner, but the, the look of the characters, you know, is, you know, the Snatchers themselves, they don't, they're not like artificial humans. They're literally like, you know, they're, 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 they're metal endoskeletons that look just like, you know, the, the Terminator, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And no, I'd, I'd say also the themes of, uh, you know, can you break the chains of fate? Right, exactly. uh, are definitely throughout these games when you know there's there's multiple characters that are clones of each other or in some ways family members of others and are they going to make the same mistakes just because they were already, already happened 
Right, um, right. Are they destined to make the same mistakes? Yeah. That's yeah. uh, definitely in there. And also, yeah, in addition to what you're saying about, like, Snatcher and some of just the looks of his other games, just the whole vibe of, of Metal Gear, uh, a lot of it is kind of um, industrial military. So yeah. that, there's there definitely that, that original Terminator. You really get that, yeah. that vibe. And then, yeah, you know... Sure. Uh, and, and a lot of the a lot of the games take place in factories that have lava towards the end. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, and the you know like those those giant hunter killer mechs are very much the inspiration look for early versions of the Metal Gear. Uh, you know, make, you know, nuclear I, tanks. You know, so um, man, he must you know he just loved the '80s because also uh, Metal Gear Rex looks just like Ed Ed was it 209 from RoboCop. Yeah. Yep, for sure. There's For no sure. way that was not a that's not a coincidence. That's not a, at all. Not at all. No, he's a he's a film he's a film nut, you know, and a, and, a, and a story guy first and foremost, you know. So that informs so much of this stuff. And again, you know, back in the '80s, he was very young. The medium was very new, um, and those movies were extremely cool. And uh, it was just kind of a zeitgeist, and I think it was just kind of a time and place sort of thing. I don't think I don't think there was a, a single a single nerd in the creative space that wasn't, uh, you know, influenced by, you know, all those movies, just like we are, you know. So, um, you know, he just had the uh, the wherewithal to uh, use that uh, as a jumping off point for creating games. So, and I think this last one I'm going to bring up also with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and this is very important to these games and a very important film. Uh, it now spoilers for third. What, how old is it? 25, 30? That was Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> it's all these games Metal are old. Gear Solid was 22 years ago, it was 98. 22 years ago. So it turns out that the, the, the idea of recessive genes comes up, and the project Les Effons Terribile, which was also referenced in the film Twins, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. And I shit so you not, funny. the plot of twins definitely is mirrored in the Metal Gear games. Except that those twins love each other. Yes. And, uh, and our and our two uh, genetically cloned twins in Metal Gear are, you know, mortal enemies. And but we will get to that. We'll get back to that idea in a second. That the reveal of those twins is one of the like some of the reveals in these games are some of the uh, they're right up there with the. Uh, the best of the M Night Shyamalan twists you'll get in the movie, where oh, you're yeah. just, you just, uh, you you get lifted up in your seat, and yeah. uh, one that tied into the whole twins thing definitely was one of them. But uh, you know, so that's broadly you get the idea that Hideo Kojima loads these games for, he makes them for 35 years with pop culture references to stuff that's all the same stuff we like, including David Bowie. Dogs of war for nine whole years. That ends today. Now you're not sleeping, and we're not junkyard hounds. We're diamond dogs. As they pulled you 
some of some of the Bowie influences are, like I said, some are very blatant. Some is not as much. Um, I think some of the general designs of a lot of the characters, you could say, like if you go online and Google Metal Gear Solid David Bowie, somebody literally took a a character sheet of almost every character and like found a corresponding Bowie look for those characters, and actually it's almost undeniable. It's yeah. like you know. Master Miller ends up looking like uh, Station to Station. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the uh, the eye patch David Bowie ends up looking like, uh, you know, one of the young snakes. But yeah. uh, there's a lot of that. Uh, but one character I think definitely is basically David Bowie is the character Raiden, who you play as in the, um, the second Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah. You end up taking over as him as the, the main character for the majority of the game. Which was a ballsy move in the first place because it was coming off the heels of one of the greatest video games of all time. And you start out as a Snake from the first game. Yeah, and about the mission ends yeah. and jumps forward, what, two years or something. And you're playing a whole other character. And, and everyone's kind, like, he's kind of, he's like, he's kind of effeminate, which I thought was kind of uh, bold at the time. This is the early... Like this is like 2001. Yeah, he, was, and, he, he wasn't confident. He was, he, yeah. was, he was still super green. It was his first field mission. Yeah, but he definitely looks like Jareth <laughs> from uh, <laughs> without the codpiece. <laughs> um, and uh, and eventually, actually, he has one of the cooler evolutions throughout the games. And uh, but I, I do think that he definitely was heavily just like his look. He's very. Very smooth skin, very space age haircut. Um, I, I think he definitely was. There's a Bowie influence there. Well, I'd even say uh, the original boss kind of looks. You know, you know, David Bowie's very um, androgynous looking. Yeah, just like she was. She was boss, and then and then uh, Naked Snake became big boss. You know, yeah. he, he kind of took over, and uh, you know, became you know became an enemy in later games and his clone had to take him out which is solid snake so um yeah it's it's very interesting it's very self-referential even when they have to twist the story around it it's done in a way to make it uh in a weird way like more cohesive um yeah i don't know it's but in that <laughs> in that same game that third game which is called snake eater that one is peppered with Little allusions to David Bowie. Um, one that really made me laugh when I first played it was uh, you're starting the game off and you are you're getting a a a message from ground control, if you will, and yeah. uh, they say, you know, for the rest of this exercise, I will be Major Tom. Major Tom, yeah. And yeah. you know, you can't get any more nose on, the, on the nose yeah, of that. He changes his name to Major Tom, yeah. And then uh, later in some of those same conversations, one of your one of your allies calls you and asks you, "Hey, have you ever seen the movie The Teenage Spider Queen from Mars?" Which uh, right. you know, spiders from Mars. You right. can't really deny that. Band. Yeah. And then later in that same game, you fight a a boss who I for lack of a better term is a fire-fueled cosmonaut. Yeah. As the battle winds down, he starts making like just 
a bunch of ranting and ravings of someone going back into space. And it's definitely a major Tom coming home kind of thing. Absolutely. So yeah, but the, the third game, which takes place in the sixties does have quite a few little David Bowie references in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's uh, that, that gets brought back to one of my favorite moments in all of these, these games. And that's what made me think that it was worth talking about on the podcast was in the fifth game. There's two things that happens, which just they're, they're, they're beautiful. Uh, one is that the, uh, the, the game was also almost called the man who sold the world. And Kim's the he, name of a mixtape. Exactly. The game opens with a mixtape that just has man who sold the world written on it. And what begins to play is not the David Bowie version. I actually like what they did better. It's the version by the artist, which I brought up on the show before. Uh, uh, Midge Uru. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. And uh, I that's what opens the game up. It's a wonderful version of the song. And it's just such a cool experience of uh, the, the, the characters waking up in a dazed state. And that song lends itself so well to the position of the main character in the start of that game. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with that cover. Have you? Did you hear that version of that song before the game, Joe? No, no, I hadn't actually. The soundtrack to that game is uh, really phenomenal, as well as um, the uh, Ground Zeroes. You know that kind of that game kind of introduced the style, the gameplay, the visual style, as well as the uh, the concept of uh, you know collecting audio tapes that you can listen to on a Walkman that was like slavishly recreated to look just like the very first Walkman. iconic piece of equipment from the era from Sony you know he has a pretty strong working relationship Hideo Kojima does with Sony uh, and the PlayStation brand um, uh, very very strong uh, loyalties there uh, because they kind of they kind of put him on the map right and yeah. uh, and uh, took over a lot of that and uh, he kind of pays reference to it you know I mean the same era that he came up you know, in the mid to late eighties was bubble air Japan. And that's kind of where Sony really blew up and became like a huge, uh, you know, company that was, you know, kind of led by, uh, innovation in the, uh, uh, consumer technology space. So a lot of that he, he, he puts back into his games because, you know, the Walkman was one of those super iconic products. Uh, they give the character one, um, he, he, they tell a lot of story through tapes, uh, recordings, and likewise, you know, they put a lot of, uh, uh pop music of the era, uh, on tapes that you can listen to, like in the helicopter and in missions and stuff. And it's, it's all very interesting the way he, he, he ties, you know, the, uh, the events of that game and the time it takes place in, uh, and ties it to the real world through, uh, again, through pop culture, um. It's pretty yeah, something, awesome. something amazing about that game, which I will finish one day. I yeah. do know where it ends, though. 
and right. and it's incredible that he didn't plan this. But what they ended up doing somehow is that the game first came out in '86, and as you go through the games, uh, the games in the '90s take place in the '90s. The games in the 2000s take place in the 2000s. Then they made a game that takes that they made a game that takes place in the '60s, and they made another game that takes place in the '60s. Then they jumped into the future and told the end of the story. But it really wasn't the end of the story because the true end of the story takes place in 1984, right before the first game. And they somehow managed to make a, a loop for all the games, which uh, you have, if you play through all these, you get the complete story over like a 40 or 50 year span for all these characters. And it ends in 1984. Yeah. You just, uh, you know, the, the, the hero becomes the villain, becomes the hero again. And it's... Uh, you know, through through generations of cloning and, uh, and, and, and you know, various war conflicts. It's really fascinating. Uh, it couldn't really be told through any other medium than video games. Yeah, they, talk, they keep talking about making a movie. The guy that made the movie Kong Skull Island, which I'm a big fan of, right. uh, he apparently he's going to he's been trying to get one made. And I just I don't know how you I, I, you, you can make basically like a diehard type film, which has a chunk of the story. But yeah, it's al- it's almost kind of like with the the Akira animated film, you're not getting the whole story. That's the actual comic book, which is the only yeah, way to know the whole story. Could. Yeah, you have to experience the in in the original medium. I feel like as well. Yeah. Now, I mean, if they want to clean them up and put them on a collection, I I do I I'd buy that for a dollar, you know. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I I I'm actually uh, I would never uh, anticipate. Uh, a movie uh, I certainly wouldn't expect a movie to, to be good no matter who directed it it's just one of those things where it's one of those those works that transcends adaptation you know um, it'd be fun to attempt it but I, I, I think you'd, you'd just be missing out on so much of what makes what makes them special uh, so much of their uh, the reiteration and, 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 and expansion of the story game after game that doesn't detract from what came before but you know builds it up in your mind by playing these things out of sequence just wouldn't work in in a movie form and there certainly isn't enough time to explore it either and it's kind of like you know people say hey i've never watched breaking bad or better call saul should i start with better call saul first because you know to keep the chronology and no it's like no definitely not you know when, when prequels come out it, the story is meant to be told in the way the story was released, and uh, that's the same right. way I'd say with the Metal Gear games. Agreed. Uh, and to the the last bit of Bowie uh, ties is there's a character, there's a series of characters in the fifth game, and they're the uh, the group of heroes that the main character is putting together, and they're just called the Diamond Dogs. The and Diamond Dogs. When they announced that, they basically said like, "We're." the diamond dogs and it shows a logo with a diamond dog and it's awesome so <laughs> yeah they're, they're basically like a i mean they're you know they would eventually not be good guys right but uh because they would form outer heaven right and um uh but basically yeah and, and what we have now like with like blackwater they're like a paramilitary yes, I, i'd rather they're the, they're the protagonists of the uh, the fifth game but they are they are yeah i mean you're playing as them and, and you know it's interesting too in that game because you know snake evolves into this you know horned demon you know this this uh this like literal war monster you know even though you know you're still the hero you're playing the game and it's 
it's interesting because you're like, oh, that's who, you know, like you said, it ends right where the very first Metal Gear begins, right? And you have to take him out. And who's taking him out? A clone, Solid Snake, his, uh, his identical uh, superhero, you know, clone uh, son, right? So it's, I don't know, it's it's fascinating how they how they do it. Um, and you know, even even if 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 you're, I don't know if this is gonna be one of our more downloaded episodes, but even <laughs> if it's your first time hearing about these games, and you're like, my God, they're spoiling everything. No, not really. This is still really only are. scratching the surface of of what these games are about. So. Yeah, we're we're describing them in just in very broad strokes, and by the time if you invest in them and play them in the order of release, you'll have forgotten anything that we've said, and uh, you know, really piecing it together as you play is the is really the the magic <laughs> of yeah. these games. Uh, to that, we're going to cap this conversation with our top five Metal Gear moments. I mean, my, my favorite games are, uh, you know, basically the, um, you know, the original uh, 98 uh, Metal Gear Solid, which is technically, I guess, the, the, the third game, right? But uh, for all intents and purposes, that was my first. It was most people's first, I think, in the West, for sure, um, as far as anything that Hideo Kojima uh, produced. And, um, you know, really that that the introduction uh is just uh it's masterful uh the way you uh you know just like you were talking about rambo right the uh the uh the, the general uh you know finds you in a cabin in alaska right and just basically it's like hey we need you you know <laughs> we need yep. you to go in and uh you know we need you come to out of the cold skills. get into the cold yeah, exactly. exactly and so right from there from there you know they uh they, 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 they give you some uh, scuba gear, they, they, they pump you full of uh, nano machines, you know, to fight the cold, uh, give you some basic weapons and uh, a one-way uh, underwater, uh, basically a, 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 a guided torpedo that you use to, to, to sneak into the base uh, underwater and, um, and, you know, and you, and you sneak into this, uh, this base that the, uh, uh, who is it? Um, what's the name of the the organization that's taken over that base? Uh, I don't know, but I know that the base is Shadow Moses. Shadow Moses Island, right off the Alaska Archipelago. And as you are infiltrating the base on your uh, submersible, you know the the, the, the credits roll. And uh, I'd just never seen anything like that. And they they could have gone with flashy full motion video, you know. And they didn't, you know, they kept everything in that game uh, cinematic and in engine. So the characters and are it's blocky. All, it's subtle, pl- it's subtle pulsing music. If there is it, like there's hardly yeah. any music. It's like yeah. it, it, it's it's kind of like a soft synth and then a like a sonar sound, and it just mm-hmm. works so perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really minimal. And then 
you emerge from the water and you've got a, a small like warehouse floor and you're unarmed and ideally you don't get seen there's there's general guards you know roving around these uh these giant you know costco looking shelving units filled with crates and boxes and your job is to uh get on the elevator uh up to the main uh entrance of the base and not be seen so as the credits are still rolling in the music's still going they're teaching you how to, how the basic mechanics of the game works and uh I think that was another thing that, that Hideo Kojima was a huge innovator on, right? He was uh, uh, emergent gameplay, right? So, you know, not uh, he didn't just cut the game up into story and then game and story and game. They kind of brought it together. You know, they'd interrupt the gameplay to teach you a new skill and then you'd immediately be using it in there. And the whole time you're having conversations telling, talking about what your objective is and I don't know that 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 really set the mood for me and uh, for the whole game and really the whole series. So uh, right off the bat, that's got to be uh, in the top five. The, the, the introduction, like the first half hour of Metal Gear Solid. Oh, yeah, no, it definitely. It's a, like I said, that's a. It's like a. I, I hate the fact that I can't think of a better metaphor, but that's like a JFK moment for a lot of game gamers. Yeah. Is the uh, first time you played that game because you remember all that. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, absolutely. All, it's all done so seamlessly. Yeah, um, and and it's, it's crazy. Like you're in the that. middle. You're in the middle of having your mind blown at the same time. You're like, this is so fun. Yeah, you know? it makes so much. It could be comp. It, it could be complicated, but they, through the magic of just perfect, uh, uh c- the application of con- perfect controls, it yeah. it is not complicated. It uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. It's like a knife through butter. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's no learning curve. You just you're just right into it, and it's super immersive. And then the stakes feel so much higher because of the story and the way it's presented, which could only have happened at that at that era. You know, they had the technology to have home video games that looked you know as good or better than arcades for the first time, and it was just there's nothing else like it. And I mean, that's oh, enough. Games were on CDs. My goodness. I know. And in '98, you know, there that was a big huge year right i mean that game came out what about two weeks before like the legend of zelda ocarina of time and like there's just so much good stuff that year it's just ridiculous so for that game for that game and that moment to still stand out among those the giants of that of that era is yes, really only uh, only oh you know only to be dwarfed about a year later by david bowie's omicron the nomad soul <laughs> <laughs> it was on dreamcast <laughs> Uh, to, to my, my number five is from that same game, and I could probably pull all five from that game, but I won't. But yeah, uh, yeah. the 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 introduction of the character uh, Gray Fox in that game, uh, um, the way you know he's around before he actually appears, and that's some yeah. of that using that some of that like predator technology. Who is this threat? Right. And then you right. have a battle with him, and you learn throughout this battle that you know him from the past. And as yeah. they make Snake remember who he is, um, you're also having it described to you who he is. And the character was actually from a previous game that I'd say 95% of the people playing Metal Gear Solid for the first time never played. But oh, yeah, absolutely. through the talent of uh, just telling you exactly what you need to know, you get the feel for what the, the backstory is, what his backstory is, what happened in between that game and now, and why it has a weight to it. And you're learning all this, and at the same time, you're trying to not get your ass kicked 
as he teleports through an office building and keeps beating the hell out of you. Um, mm-hmm. It's just one of the better boss battles and introductions of a character that's, uh, you know, meeting them. You're saying hello again for the first time. It's, uh, right. it's perfectly Even done. Before that, he chops off what's his name's hand, right? He chops off Ocelot's hand. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Ocelot's hand. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, another you know, strong you realize, character. And you're not sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy. And it's like, well, you know, he's kind of. Yeah, it's interesting what they do with that character. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big one. And his one. design, the design of the character is pretty awesome, too. He's basically so a space cool. ninja. Yeah, yeah. Cyborg ninja with a, you know, cloaking predator suit. <laughs> uh, let's see. What's another one for me? Um, God, you know, those games always make such a strong uh, first impression, but... Um, man, I don't know. Maybe... Uh, God, I don't know if it's cheating, but Ground Zeroes setting the stage for, uh, um, you know, Metal Gear Solid Five. Well, it's not. Uh, that's not cheating for two reasons. For one, I'll let you go ahead. But two, uh, even though we do love David Hayter, they replaced Snake Pliskin, or I'm sorry, Snake's voice with uh, Kiefer Sutherland in Ground Zeroes, which again is actually kind of suitable because you're not playing a solid snake you're playing as a different character technically you know like so uh but also another icon of 80s film right uh key for sutherland uh right down to the mullet that's similar to snake's mullet yep yep exactly and uh you know that game had a similar thing you know you're you're storming an island that is uh controlled by a, a military and it's basically uh it's a it's like a playground where they're teaching you how to use the mechanics of the game, but you have a goal where you're trying to uh, you know uh, retrieve these hostages, and um, and it's all it takes place. What that takes place in what like seventy nine, I think. Like it takes place a few years, I think, before the main yeah. events of of, of uh, part five, and um, and uh, again with the with the that's like the, the year that the Walkman was introduced. Right. And so that's like the first time you see it and it's the original Walkman. And I don't know, man, that, that whole, um, that whole game, you know, you, it's, it's a playable demo, but it has a story, uh, uh, importance to it, a weight to it. Uh, and then likewise, you know, all the missions, you could beat that game in 25 minutes. Uh, but there, again, there's so much more to it. You can play through it over and over again and, and go for different goals. But I think the setting is just, uh, it's super iconic. It sets up all the changes that they've introduced in the game. And, uh, and then it sets up the story for a different, not just a different game, but for a whole different era for a whole different group of characters that will eventually, uh, become, uh, the villains in the very first game. And they don't feel like villains, uh, you know. You, you become attached to them, and uh, I don't know. It's 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 fascinating, and uh, you know, it came out early in this console generation, and uh, it ends up, you know, it looks unlike anything else. Like there's no game. It, it looked almost, it felt photorealistic first time you saw it, and uh, um, it was ju- it just kind of meant uh, for me at least a huge leap in technology, a huge leap in uh, visual design. And again, a huge leap in the way that um, Hideo Kojima tells uh, stories, right? It was, uh, and it was somehow felt more interactive uh, than previous games. 
uh, you know, four is kind of uh, begrudgingly looked at by a lot of people as he was doing too much telling and not, you know, instead of just letting you figure it out and play through it, that game would pause and, and do these giant like 45 minute cutscenes that were a little too much movie, not enough game. And this was like a complete return to form in some in so many ways. And so it made a huge impression on me. scene that a sequence that just when you think you're gonna take a breath you can't uh, at a certain point in the game you battle your way up a set of stairs over and oh over God. Yes. stairs and stairs and stairs and you're just you're you're there's flash grenades and there's there's a auto turrets the suppressing fire being coming up and down and and finally you make it to the you know that's that's that's, that's tense enough you make it to the roof and then you get to fight a helicopter <laughs> so you saw in the beginning of the game too that that yeah. hind d which was a real helicopter yes and uh, it it very much that that sequence is very much you're like the closest i've ever there are diehard video games um, yeah yeah but that right. one diehard with the agents in the helicopter at the top of yeah. the skyscraper that's right that's a true diehard video game right there. So yeah, yeah, that's, my... that, that's a that's a great one. Yeah, I, I I forgot about that. That should have been the. I guess that probably is the main one. I mean, there's so many parallels to the diehard movies in them, but um, I think the uh, I, I agree. That's that's a good one in a series that is you know defined by so many things. Uh, one very important facet is the boss fights, the way it, it, it reinvents that, you know, there's, it's such a necessary part of video game design. It's, it's the momentum, the flow of video games, you know, you, but, it, but the you way, and the way it does it is they're clearly bosses, right? Right. A lot of times they don't happen when you expect to be getting to the boss. Exactly. They, so they take the trope of level design that culminates in a boss fight. And then, like you said earlier, it, 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 it tips it on its head. And, uh, you know, I'd say up there for me has to be the fight uh, in Metal Gear Solid 3 uh, with the end. I'm sorry if I'm if I'm if I'm snaking one of your. Uh, one no, of I'm your, not. But that's let's lead this. This will be this will be your number three. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. So uh, um, the um, the uh, the fight with the end is this. Uh, he's this this military sharpshooter who basically uh, becomes one with the environment. He's uh, he's invisible, and uh, it's such an interesting. Uh, uh, trick with the game design right because this old man um you know over the this 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 is a boss fight that can that can be over in a few seconds or it can go for up to an hour and you're basically stalking a few screens which is meant to represent a larger swath of jungle and uh 
you know, you can, you can, you can inch around and, uh, use a directional microphone, you know, to try and, uh, capture him breathing or, or, or mumbling, looking for clues. Um, and it's basically a game of cat and mouse. He's stalking you and you're stalking him and you have to figure out his location before he finds you. So you can, you can shoot him, you know, you can, you can kill him. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is that if on a long enough, you know, if you if you manage to, to to live for the whole hour and you don't find him and he doesn't kill you, he'll literally die of old age. Um, but then alternatively, you know, there's a cutscene that introduces him, and you can interrupt the game uh, the flow to, to to kill him. You know, while the while you're looking at him in this cutscene, right? You can you can get the drop on him because you, you you see him right there, and. Uh, it was such a fun idea. It was so, um, it was so um, unusual for game design because it, it could be so tense. But the trick, you know, again, he's always got some kind of a gameplay trick uh, uh, up his sleeve, and that was uh, that was one of them. And that was uh, that was a unique, a unique character, a unique boss. And uh, you know, I can't think of any other game that's done anything like that, really. Yeah, and uh, also the design of that character is fun. He's very much a, uh, a you know, a, a Japanese uh, old drunken mas- bastard kind of guy. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of lecherous. Yeah, and he kind of looks like, you know, uh, you know, like a like a ghillie suit, you know, like he he's he, like he just like emerges from the from the foliage, right? And got got birds sitting on him and you know, moss all over him and you know, he's just been out in the wild. He's this like feral force of nature. <laughs> he almost doesn't even seem like a bad guy. <laughs> uh, my number three is, in general, the many times the character of Revolver Ocelot has a uh, effect on the series. Absolutely. Um, he starts out as someone you run into that looks kind of just like a. Uh, he he looks like a, a cross between. I, I don't know. Um, oh gosh, no, he definitely looks like from the Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, Lee Van Cleef, um, in the original game, uh, by way of Russia, and as the games travel back and forth through time, you realize this guy at times is, you know, one of your greatest allies, and is never truly, maybe never your greatest enemy, but um, the men who pull the strings of the men who pull the strings he has connections to them that uh, you may never truly understand. And uh, the way they pepper in some of those connections are really fun Easter eggs. And I will not spoil one of them, but Joe, it's during the credits of the first Metal Gear game from 98, the the Metal Gear Solid. Uh, After the credits roll, he has a line of dialogue that just uh, is hilarious to me. And I love it. Yeah, you mean the uh, the Lali Lule Lo? Uh, it, yes, that's who I do refer to that group. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, uh, the 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 Illuminati of the Metal Gear uh, series, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, yeah. He's a he's a pretty amazing character, and like you said, he's an ally in in certain timelines. But then again, it makes sense, right? Because in certain timelines, your character is on opposing sides throughout the story. Because yeah, your is you know the first you know naked snake who goes on to become like the first villain in the series uh the big boss right um who succeeds 
the original boss. And so it's so neat because you get to see this 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 sprawling epic of uh, of storytelling from uh, from all sides. And uh, basically, no one's really a good guy. No one's really a bad guy. Uh, it, it, it ties into the the larger the larger question of you know the meaning of 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 really any kind of uh, military conflict, right? What it comes down to, um, and uh, yeah, he's a fascinating character. Uh, his boss fights are are always really interesting. That first one, you know, was uh, such a neat uh, a neat fight because you know you're you're running around and there's that who was it that was uh, tied to the uh, the C four in the middle of the room that he'd rigged up. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, the um oh god was it was it the uh the darpa chief? chief roland emmerich or no yes. no yeah yeah i think it was a darpa chief yeah and which was interesting because we thought he was dead earlier but really that was one of the one of the other uh bad guys it was a decoy octopus that was disguised as him they do a, a wonderful bit of retconning with that character yeah yeah it was fascinating um, okay, so then my my number two is is again from that first game. It's got to be the uh, it's got to be that Psycho Mantis boss fight, man. That you was, know, sometimes uh, the greatest hits are greatest hits for a reason. So they really are. There was uh, that that was such a fascinating thing, and it was it was very meta. You know, both within the game and within you know the the player itself, as well as the very you know, um, uh, medium of video games. Uh, at one point, you um, one of the bosses in that game is this uh, this weird freak who is a is a psychic. Uh, he's got telekinetic powers, and he can get inside your head, and he can uh, teleport and disappear. And you know, through the course of the boss fight, he uh, he fucks with your controls. Uh, you basically, um, he's able to anticipate all your moves because he's in your head. Um, and, uh, you know, at certain points he cuts out the video feed on your TV, you know, like he's in your head literally. And, uh, it says, you know, it was funny because I played that game on an old Sony Trinitron and, uh, depending on what, you know, um, what mode the TV is in, you know, it'll say video up in the corner. And they changed it to say Hideo, which is spelled the same as video, but with an H. And I thought that there was something wrong with my TV because it, it perfectly recreated that screen. I was like, whoa, did I bump something? I thought I had changed the the, the channel or, 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 you know, put it into like a different auxiliary mode, you know, like a different, uh, a different input by accident. And uh, I hadn't. He, it was just this boss character fucking with you. And I figured it was because I was still hearing the sound. But I had also, you know, been playing the game, you know, with the, uh, the sound plugged into a stereo so I could still hear it. I thought I had changed the channel. And then it randomly c comes back in, but he's hit me a few times. And after dying on that boss like five times, you know, they give you a hint. And, and you know, he's able to anticipate your controller. And it was like, oh, the secret to beating him was he had to unplug the control from the first player controller socket put it into the player two port <laughs> and that was such a funny idea but it was like a way of breaking his psychic connection of course he could read your minds he knows which which buttons you're going to push you know he knows what you're what you're doing and so he can 
he can negate your attack and so you have to negate his ability by unplugging literally and then plugging back in on the other controller port to continue the fight and that was just a genius idea and another easter egg uh that not everyone experienced but i did uh was that he can read your controller ports and if you have any other games published by konami if you have save files he will talk about those games and so uh you know, uh, this game came out about uh, a year after Castlevania Symphony of the Night came out, which is another one of my favorite games. And Konami publishes it. And uh, I had multiple save files and he commented, he said, oh, I see you like Castlevania. And I was like, how, what? You are a highly skilled warrior. Well suited to this stealth mission. You are extremely careful of traps. You are either very cautious, or you are a coward. Still don't believe me? Now I'll read more deeply into your soul. Ah, I can see into your mind. So, you like Suikoden. You like Azure Dreams? You like Castlevania, don't you? You enjoy role-playing games. I see that you enjoy Konami games. Hmm. You have not said often. You are somewhat reckless. I can read you like an open book. You still don't believe me? I will show you my psychokinetic power. Put your controller on the floor. Put it down as bright as you can. That's good. Now I will move your controller by the power of my will alone. How would they know that? And I was just like, oh, well, it's just Konami. And, I, and it wasn't until later that I read like, oh, no, no, they designed him to, to comment on your save files if you had other Konami games on there. And it was just one of those really interesting fourth wall breaking moments. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's never been anything else like that that I've ever seen before uh, or since, really. Um, yeah. It was just a new idea. It was so fun. And uh, yeah, it was <laughs> it was so it was something else, man. <laughs> yeah, the only way it could have got better is if when he's talking about Castlevania, if he comments on a miserable pile of secrets. Oh but, my uh... god, that would have <laughs> that would have just melted. <laughs> and the great thing about it is, then again, Hideo Kojima, who truly you know good guy, the black hat, white hat. You don't really get a lot of that in these games. Yeah. When you do dispatch Psychomantis. He has a scene uh, that makes you feel for the character. And uh, once you truly learn what he's all about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a tortured character. Um, You know, and I think that's a big part of it. You know, like I said, there's truly 
few good guys and bad guys in these games. They're, they're complex in their own weird ways. They all have their motivations. And he gives them the space to talk about that in the course of the game and their story cutscenes, and it gives a lot more weight to the adventure uh, that you're that you're that you're unraveling as you're as you're playing. So, yeah, that's a, that was a big one. That was a really big one. And speaking of which, to that, my number two is definitely the entire ending sequence from boss battle to. Uh, ending cinematics for the uh, third game snake eater oh god yeah you uh that's one where i i I, want to keep it vague but uh that version of snake is asked to do battle with someone he cares about and obviously you are triumphant because you finished the game and then in finishing the game you learn what that character who you just dispatched uh, they're the, the entire reasoning for why they did everything and it's, it's heartbreaking uh, and uh, you know they, they definitely they, they were not acting in their best interests they were acting in your interests and no one's gonna know but you it's uh, pretty incredible it's a uh, I probably I, I probably cried when I when I finished that game <laughs> it was yeah. very yeah. moving the ultimate sacrifice it was um yeah that's uh yeah that was a big one that was uh and just the look of it too you know like that moonlight battle in the in the in the, in the plants and the foliage like it was there's uh, all yeah, there's a bunch of like i think the white lilies yeah uh, you yeah and that was it was the hand to hand battle and it's really tough and uh, it yeah. was tough yeah and that was like really kind of a new feature i mean i guess they did have some cqc in the second one but it was not expanded until you know really the third game really blew that up you know because they took away your radar, and so they had to, they had to change the focus of the gameplay. You know, it was another another moment where like the the design of it completely changed. Because it's like, well, of course they wouldn't have that kind of personal radar in the '60s, and so they changed the whole dynamic of uh, of the way you play, the way you prioritize space on the screen, and uh, you know, uh, having the uh, the need to to survive, you know, uh, on, on what you have around you since, you know, nano machines weren't, couldn't be part of the story yet. They didn't exist at that point. So you literally have to keep yourself fed. It's a game of survival, right? And so, uh, I feel like as an extension of that theme, that, that last boss fight absolutely plays into the whole theme of not just the story, but like the gameplay development too. the way it all evolves. It's very fluid. It's very interesting, you know, as a series for that as well. You know, the sacrifices and stuff that that they make where they take away things that you've come to be what you think you're so used to and you think you're good at Metal Gear Solid games. And then it's like, oh, no, this one works totally different. And you have to relearn everything. That's a huge, a huge uh, part of the draw because it's it's you're, you're never you're never fully you're never really fully aware. You know, I mean, you I mean, these obviously when you love these games, you play them over and over, you get good at them, but that's why it's so interesting because everybody has a favorite and no one's wrong because they're all so good. They all do things so differently. Um, And then uh, let me think here. Let's see, my number one, man, that's a good one. Um, Man, I'm kind of, it's sort of a toss up for me between 
the um, let's see here I mean towards the uh, uh, I mean there's a there's a moment in I don't know man if it's either the return to shadow Moses that was so cool but maybe I would have to go with the um, towards the end of um, Metal Gear Solid 2 when uh, Snake joins the fight at the end and uh, Raiden and him are taking on, you know, all those goons. It's a very, uh, mm -hmm. it's a very emotional thing. And it kind of dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it kind of bookends that story because, you know, it really took me almost the whole game to like pull my jaw off the floor that I was actually, you know, not playing a snake. I did figure out pretty early that he was, you know, Pliskin, right? Because I knew the name, you know, Snake Pliskin by that point. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, Snake's uh, nickname in that game is Pliskin. Like when he's 20 or 21 when that game came out. So, I mean, I, I, I was well aware of, uh, you know, uh, Escape from New York, but that was a, a triumphant return. And uh, as weird as that game is, uh, it plays like a dream. And the, the, the characters in it are so good. And the way the story... Uh, comes together uh, makes up for it you know it, it, I, I understand that some people were upset that they didn't get to play a snake but I feel that the story justified it if and... you remove the emotion from not being able to play a snake in that game it's an yeah. amazing it yeah. has some set pieces that set piece where you're uh, you're going in between the oil rigs that oh, are God, uh, yeah that's wonderful and the sun's oh. kind of setting during the whole thing yeah yeah no there's so much great about that game and then also you know it's not like snake's gone he's there yeah. it's like he's like your uh your general he's like your master miller he's it's like this is your final training only it's you know it's like sorry it's the real deal and and he's there to help you and guide you and then he comes in at the end and kind of saves your ass and you guys just uh you know uh yeah i don't know but it was uh it was really cool and it, and, it, and it kind of uh it, it made it worth the journey as as Raiden to get that that reunion with Snake at the end. You know that kind of was a that was a big deal for me. I think so. Uh, yeah, and also the end of that game touches on some themes of uh, it, this is back 20 years ago now, basically, and they were predicting how in the future technology was going to become a problem with how people process what is truth, and I they. Know. And they were they were they were talking about this back in 2001, and uh, they were talking about memes in the game before any of us ever heard that phrase before. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty incredible that they were that uh, forward thinking. Yeah, no, that game that game was was extremely uh, ahead of the curve, and, and you know so much of that stuff, you know, the game taking place in New York, and coincidentally, you know, it came out like a. Uh, like a month after 9/11, right? So I mean, it was—I uh, don't know. I mean, obviously, it was—it 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 was in development and, and, and all done at the time that happened. But yeah. it felt very—it um, felt very uh, both of the moment, like impossibly current and future-facing, um, while still tying so well into—I mean, it fits just perfectly in the middle of of of, of the series. And I guess from a chronological standpoint, it's like the second to last of the game, right? Because, it, you know, Metal Gear Solid 4 is the one that's the most in the future. But, um, and then this one was, you know, took place like, you know, 
at the time, basically modern day, right? It took place in like 2002 or 2000. It took place like in the very yeah. near future. Um, and uh, and so anyway, it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was a cool game. And uh, I'm definitely past due for a replay of it. But yeah, that game has aged better than most. Uh, not, not most Metal Gears, but most games of that era. You know, when I think of, again, like, you know, all the big games that came out in 1998, I think Metal Gear Solid uh, stands tall above all of them, you know, uh, after 20 years, right? Likewise with Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, 2001 was just an absolutely monstrously huge year for games, and uh, uh, that one really stands out above and beyond uh, pretty much anything else that year. Um, you know, and that was like when we got the first like 3D Grand Theft Auto. That's where Devil May Cry came out. We got Silent Hill 2. We had Eco. There's no shortage of like, you know, that's when like the original Xbox launch gave us Halo. I mean, just monsters of video games, uh, you know, really kind of had kicked off in 2001. That was really when that, that um, uh, sixth generation of console. Uh, that war like really blasted off and everything was out by the end of 2001 you had the GameCube, the Xbox, PS2, Dreamcast was winding down and so I don't know it was just uh, the future felt very now at that moment and uh, that game just um, it was super highly anticipated and uh, I mean it surprised it disappointed some people but I think looking back on it uh, it's just uh, it's just it's just a, an absolute titan both for the series and for video games as a medium and uh, yeah I don't know something else I think I think retroactively yeah it did uh, people enjoy it uh, looking back uh, absolutely yeah the, the, what's the shock of the of the people complaining about it was gone right right my number one is uh. I could just say the man who sold the world introduction from Phantom Pain again, but we already talked about that. Yeah. So, we already talked about that. I, I don't think we've given enough love to the fourth game tonight. Yeah. And uh, the fourth game I really, really enjoy. Same. It is a bloated, bloated weird mess, but it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it is, you know, when you do like a list like this, it's, it is easy just to rattle off boss battles, because usually those are when you have some cumulative emotional uh, explosions uh, yeah, yeah. in these games. But, I mean, I, I, I hate to, to just go back to the end of one of these games again, but this kind of transcends just a game ending. Uh, what they were able to do with the fourth game, which was not the final game in the series, um, the way that game closes out ties it up so many threads from all these games and so many confusing tidbits are... Uh, are kind of finally spelled out for you and it's it's done in a way that um it's a meeting between two characters that is not violent and uh they, they take one of, we haven't talked enough about the music in these games tonight which can be a whole podcast in itself but uh it, it's it's like something out of an Ennio Morricone movie and the music takes the main theme song which is actually written by the guy that does like music for a lot of Michael Bay movies um yeah uh I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's awesome. He does. He's really good at my, he, Michael Bay, Tony Scott. He has a lot of like bombastic 
a yeah. action orchestrated music. And um, it takes that main theme and it, it brings it down to just like a flamenco guitar version of it. While these two old characters talk to each other. And you know, when I beat that game for the first time, it was probably like nine years after it came out, uh, maybe less, but uh, it, it, I, it was right before my kid was born and my family already moved back to where we came from, but I was still spending my last days in San Francisco alone. Uh, I was in between old job and new job, and we still I, I had to finish the old job I was working at, but my family already moved back home to spend time with their family up here because it was easier to deal with an infant uh, near family than San Francisco. And so I was in an empty uh, San Francisco apartment uh, with just like a mattress on the ground in Metal Gear 4 and beating that game I, it felt like a culmination of all these stories that I loved for like the last 25 years at the same time I would just had a kid uh, the, it was very emotional experience so <laughs> it's just all that stuff added together just made a perfect moment in time for me on top of the fact that uh, I do think that that, that, that game closes out strong so Definitely. It, it, and, and, and to your point also about how it, it pulls off the almost impossible of tying off, you know, various threads that they've that he's been spinning off out of necessity of telling these stories out of order sequentially, um, you know, and, and giving it a coherent and satisfying uh, ending is really, you know, quite uh, quite a magic trick to achieve. Um, and it's not the ending you thought you were going to get at all. Yeah. I don't think anybody could have predicted yeah. how that game ends. But I can only imagine the impact it would have. You know, you know that's a big part of you know why anything that we love is you know the way it, you know the time in your life in which you experience it informs a lot of the impact uh, and, and interpretation uh, of of what these stories or songs or movies or anything really right. So that's got to be a big part of it right that was a huge transition in your life you know new new, new career in a new city right like <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and 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 uh you know uh fatherhood right for the first time right so it was a uh, it was a really big deal um so i mean that's 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 awesome i wish i had that that same experience with it um i i'm not saying that i didn't have a good experience i had a great experience but i mean that's got to be an extra layer of uh you know something special and uh you know, I, I think it's just really kind of um, part of part of the magic that uh, that uh, you know Hideo Kojima uh, is able to do. What he's able to achieve, he has these several big ideas that kind of uh, you know he has this like monomania. He'll fixate on one single aspect and build a game around it, right? And it's uh, and it well, he just did that with his. With the, I haven't played it, but uh, the Death Stranding. Death Stranding, like, yeah. Like, he took a concept that a lot of people could probably relate to now before now, we all could relate uh, to it again, and build a game of, out of it. Time, yeah. Society and isolation. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating how he pulls that off. He's always just kind of ahead of the curve, much like our, our man David Bowie, right? You know, and I feel like there's a, a it, it's part of, you know, why he's inspired by David Bowie, why he references him. And part of what makes them uh, of, a, of a piece artistically uh, in, in different mediums, in different cultures. Um, but uh, I mean, they're both like uh, prime examples, like, you know, of the artistic concept of postmodernism. Um, 
I feel like they, uh, there's so much revisiting of their own work, their own characters, their own persona, uh, and updating of it. And, uh, you know, self-referential, having fun with it, joking around with it, and really making these elements, introducing so much of themselves uh, into it, their personas, inviting us in to meet these characters of themselves that they've created and then playing with them and becoming familiar with them and creating like a whole a whole world um you know of uh, of uh you know self-connected work um is i feel like kind of a big a big cultural um similarity that that both uh, men and their uh and their artistic endeavors share and then on top of that the playgrounds that they play in uh, the I mean Hideo Kojima is a a director of video games and for many it's not as much now but for decades video games were primarily male dominated action fests right and he took that and what he did was made a game where many of the characters uh, are effeminate or also pacifists right and you could try to complete these games without hurting anyone if you wanted to. Right. Um, and they also were critiques on violence. Right. To that, David Bowie, uh, a rock star, and especially back in the 70s and 80s, you know, rock out with your cock out. Uh, he, you know, from the very start, uh, he was androgynous and in a, you know, it, it, it definitely was, uh, you know, t- taking, make, making people question uh, what is a rock star and that's uh, that, that's there's a very similar to, to they they do not like to be put in a box at all yeah 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 exactly unless they can define that box themselves and uh, and uh, you know again uh, just always defy expectation so um, yeah I feel they're very much of a piece so I can definitely see and completely understand uh, you know, like David Bowie was very revolutionary in so many ways like that and why he would be influential to so many, but it's fun to see, um, you know, how other people take a similar approach to their art and, um, and run with it, uh, you know, again, to defy expectations, to create, you know, new spaces, to create new ways of, uh, looking at things and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. All right. Well, Joe, thank you again for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for having yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll find another excuse to have you on the show soon. Don't you worry. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm always game, man. Sorry it took so long for, for us to make this happen. It's my fault. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I, it, was, it was fate. We were waiting for that perfect time, just like when I completed Metal Gear 4 at the perfect time. We were waiting until... We were told we can't leave our houses for, you know, a month or two. So yeah. <laughs> why not record this podcast finally? Got to do it. Yeah. So it's it's been awesome. Uh, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, we could go on forever and ever, but this seems like a good place to let, to let it off. But uh, yeah, thanks again for having me. Uh, you know, I, you know, this is a, a cool thing that you and I share. You know, one of our, we have some, we have several uh, parallel and a few overlapping musical loves, but also video games. You know, this is a this is a pretty important uh, you know video game creator and series for both of us. So 
really awesome. You know what we need to do? So I guess, I mean, I guess the next season, I guess, uh, fuck, how can we tie the, how can we make an excuse to talk about Castlevania again? Led Zeppelin? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'll just think about it. I'll, I'll revisit that series. I'm always playing yeah. through that. But uh, there's, if there's, yeah, if there's, if, if we can figure out a musical tie to Castlevania, we could go on just as long about those games. I'm sure. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> All right, all right, man. buddy. All right, dude. Well, thanks again. Always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, man. All right. Bye. Bye. Pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, man. Bye-bye.